If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them up to Matthew uh, chapter 21. Uh, anybody in here had a rough week? <laughs> yeah, like haven't we all had a rough week? Yeah, um, I did too. Uh, I just love that when uh, the week is over, Saturday comes to an end, we set our clock on Saturday night and we get to come together as the body of Christ on Sunday mornings and spend this time together. And it's kind of like a reset. Um, it doesn't mean that the week before wasn't bad. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect in our life. But as a body of Christ gathered together, we get to reset and encourage one another. So I'm glad that you're here and that we've been able to be encouraged together through song, through prayer, uh, through um, being able to do a baby dedication. And now we're going to hopefully find some encouragement uh, through God's word together as we grow up uh, in Christ together this morning. Uh, and as Eric said uh, just a little bit ago, um, next week is Easter, which I can't believe. My grass is still brown. It's supposed to be green when Easter comes around, um, but that's a, a whole other story. Um, but as we get close to Easter the week before, that means that today is Palm Sunday. And, and if you didn't grow up around the church, um, you should know that there are a few key calendar dates that get celebrated uh, when we get close to Easter. And Palm Sunday is, is one of those dates. And Palm Sunday, um, we remember the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Um, because we know that when he enters into Jerusalem, that he's going there for a purpose. That he's going there with his eyes set on the cross, and that the cross is going to be where he lays down his life for the sin of the world. And so on Palm Sunday, as people, as people were celebrating Jesus entering into the city, um, they were excited. They didn't understand fully what Jesus was doing, but they were excited to see him. And we'll see in the days to come that, that actually that excitement begins to wane because all the, the yelling of, of bless him or Hosanna or save us, that's all going to turn into cries of crucify him in just a few short days uh, later. But today on Palm Sunday, we celebrate with those who are standing on the outskirts of the city saying, Come, Lord Jesus, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name uh, of the Lord. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to start with a story. And uh, I honestly can't remember if I've told this story before. And so if you've heard this story before, which is likely, maybe you have, um, but uh, throw me a little bit of grace uh, and, and act like you haven't heard it. And if you're here for the first time or second time, um, you, you've probably heard the story for the first time uh, today. So, but I do think that it's going to set up well uh, where we want to go this morning uh, in Matthew 21. Most of us, we've experienced uh, the tyranny um, of a, a bully at, at some time in our life. Uh, maybe a schoolyard bully when you were growing up, a bully at work, uh, a bully somewhere around you. Um, if, uh, if you've experienced it, maybe um, you, you've been on the receiving end uh, of a bully. Maybe you've been the bully who's kind of been doling that out. But I would say in, in a room this size with this many people in it, you've somehow been exposed to seeing some type of bullying. Uh, in the world that we live in today, that happens in all kinds of different ways. We know the, the physical bullying that happens and, uh, happens, and now we understand the cyber bullying that takes place and the emotional bullying that goes on. When I was growing up, Daniel was the bully on the school grounds, uh, the playgrounds that I was at. Um, he's how I experienced bullying. Um, every day, uh, the kids in our school, they would be terrified to go out to the playground because of this kid named Daniel. 
Daniel, he was average height uh, for, for a young kid, had pale skin, uh, red hair, and he had these uh, blue-gray eyes, okay, that would just pierce right through your soul whenever you would look at him. And it's been like 30 years ago, and I can still see those eyes uh, in my mind right now, and I can still see his face. But Daniel, he usually picked on the kids um, that he knew that he could push around. And uh, he did what other bullies do. Uh, if he wanted something from you, he would insert his will. Uh, and for him particularly, um, he wanted money. And so he would insert his will in order to get your money. And so what would happen is there would be a lot of kids who would be standing in, in the lunch line um, who couldn't pay for their food or they wouldn't even go to the lunch line because they couldn't pay for the food because their money, their lunch money, was sitting in Daniel's pocket for that day. Now, I wasn't always a physical specimen of a man that I am right now. I wasn't always the bodybuilder, okay? And so I um, received some bullying um, from this kid named Daniel. I remember going home one day after school, and I had a busted lip. And I don't remember. I probably smarted off. I probably did something that I shouldn't have done. But I went home with this, this lip that was busted. I wrote home, and my parents were like, hey, what happened? I'm like, oh, Daniel. Yeah, okay, Daniel, get it. But one day, uh, Daniel met his match because uh, Daniel... Um, ran into the new kid uh, that was at school. And nobody knew anything about the new kid. He just showed up and, like, who is this guy? But Daniel, being who he was, he decided that he was going to try to insert his will over this guy because he was going to let everybody know that he was the king of the hill or particularly he was the king of the playground. And so he goes up to the new kid and starts to try to push him around like he's used to doing. And as he begins to try to push this kid around, again, nobody knew anything about the new kid. This kid, like he begins to take it, and then he turns around, he squares up his shoulders, and all of a sudden turns around and smacks this guy in the mouth and just drops him on the ground. And Daniel is laying there like, what on earth just happened? And as he's laying there thinking, what on earth just happened? There's a ton of kids that are standing around him that are cheering because this new kid just did exactly what every one of these kids wished that they had done years and years ago. Now, I'm not condoning bullying. I'm not condoning punching and knocking somebody out. But these kids were excited that this new kid had done exactly what they wanted to do. And like with most bullies, what happens is once the bully gets knocked down, the tyranny or the fear of the tyranny, it begins to lose its grip on everybody. And that happened in the schoolyard that day. Just knowing that somebody could stand up to the bully took the fear out of the rest of the kids. If somebody can't stand up to him, maybe I can stand up to him too. If somebody can stand up to him, maybe he won't bully us any longer. And isn't that how it usually works? When somebody stands up to the bully, the bully then begins to lose his control over you. When people stand up to the bully... The bully begins to lose his control, and the fear and the tyranny begins to, to move out to the side. Now, in Matthew 21, in a day that we get to celebrate Palm Sunday together here, we see Jesus stand up to the bullies of the day. We see Jesus stand up to what I would say the Daniels uh, of the day in Jerusalem. See, the bullies that he's going to stand up against, these are the religious leaders of the day, which seems kind of odd, right? They had set up this system of, uh, that terrified anybody who would get out of line, uh, anybody who would uh, question their leadership. You would, if you did, you would be ostracized and you'd be isolated from the religious community. And, and on top of that, um, you would be threatened to be pushed out of the economic community. You couldn't go to the marketplace and you wouldn't be able to buy, you wouldn't be able to sell because you would be ostracized and separated and marked off as somebody who doesn't just step in, in line. And it uh, even made its way down into the temple uh, of the day. 
Now, for you and me, we understand like the temple, it was a place of worship. It was a place that you could go and pray and you can go and sacrifice. Um, for, for us, they're sitting here now, we're, we're far removed from the temple, but it would be like us being able to, to go to church on Sundays, to be able to, to go and worship and to sing and to pray and to have community with brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so this had worked its way all the way down in, into the, the temple. Um, it was the place where people could come and they could pray. Um, we got a picture here of what the temple uh, uh, looked like during uh, the day then. This is uh, a picture of um, the, the second temple. Um, if you remember, uh, Solomon, he had built a temple, and it was destroyed back in 586 B.C. Now, Herod was king in, uh, in the area, um, and he wanted to uh, build the Jews a uh, a temple so that they could go worship, but it wasn't really for them to be able to worship. It was so that he could appease them and to control them. But nonetheless, this was the Jewish temple at the time, and so the people would come and they would pray there. Um, the temple was for sacrifice. It was a, a place that they could come and they could learn about the God of Israel, who had so faithfully walked with them and led them throughout all the years in miraculous ways that people couldn't wrap their minds around. And the idea was that if people were coming to worship at the temple and they were coming to hear about God, the God who has done all these miraculous things, maybe, just maybe, they might want to follow God too. And so what would happen would be the local community from Jerusalem, they would come and they would worship at this temple. But it wasn't just the local community of Jerusalem, um, the, the Jews who would come to worship at the temple, there were outsiders or non-Jews who would come from all over the world uh, to come and worship there for the very same reason, so that they could pray, so that they could sacrifice, and so they could learn about the God that they had heard about for, for so long. But here is the catch. The foreigners... Um, the outsiders or the non-Jews at the time who would come from out of town, they had a hard time worshiping the same way that everybody else worshiped. Uh, they would travel for miles and maybe even days at times to be able to make it to the temple to be able uh, to sacrifice. Now, for you and me, when we get up on Sunday mornings to go to church, it's not that big of a deal. We have to set our clock at night and to, to decide ahead of time that we are going to actually go to church. And then we get out into our car and we crank it on and we drive a couple miles, maybe, maybe up to 30 minutes. Usually it's somewhere uh, in that. It's, really it's not really that difficult for us to make it to church to to pray and to offer sacrifices in our minds or to be around community. For these non-Jews, they were coming from way out of town. They weren't just jumping in a car. There was a long distance for them to travel at times, and so it wasn't that easy. And the religious leaders, they knew how long the journey was for some of these folks, and they made it, um, and, they, and they would... Um, and they knew that it would be difficult for them to travel such a far time with animals uh, along with them and whatnot that they would need to come and sacrifice. And so they said, hey, let's just try to make it as easy as we can on them, which sounds good. Just come to the temple and we'll take care of you once you get here. And what they did was they set up this um, market system. And again, this sounds great. Like, hey, we are looking out for you. We are taking care of you. We've got your best interest in mind. Um, but what was actually happening was that they were exploiting the people that had come to worship. And they were essentially taking the lunch money out of their, their pockets. See, one of the greatest evils that man can do to man is to realize that they have a need. And then when you recognize that they have a need, that you exploit that need for your own gain. 
whether that gain be a physical gain or a sexual gain or whether it be just to be able to control or to put fear in them, one of the greatest evils that we can do is we can see the need of somebody else and exploit it for our, for our own gain. To see their brokenness and to take advantage of that, that is just straight up evil. Now think about this. While this is going down in the temple, Jesus is aware of all of this. He knows exactly what's going on in Jerusalem. So they said, hey, come to the temple. Come here. Make your sacrifices. We'll make it easy for you. Just get here. Come inside the temple. There's this marketplace. You've got animals over here. You've got animals over here. And what would happen was that they would set a price on the animals um, to be sacrificed. And, And they could set the price for whatever they wanted to set the price for because they came there to worship. They came there to pray. They came to to sacrifice, and they had no animal. So whatever the price was, they had to pay it. And so the leaders were setting it astronomically high. But on on top of that, um, it wasn't just the overpriced, expensive animals. The only way that they could buy anything was that they had to exchange their money in order, the money that had been circulated out in the general public, they had to exchange that money for, for temple currency that hadn't been circulated, that hadn't been tainted by the rest of the world. And so the idea was that they would come, they would buy an animal, but in order to buy the animal, you had to give up your money to get their money, and there was an exchange rate that was also astronomically high. If you've traveled out of country, you've probably experienced this, right? Um, you go to another country, um, in order to be able to buy, sell, or trade in that country, you have to exchange your American currency for that country's currency. And there is an exchange rate in order to get their currency for your currency. Usually you do it at the airport. Sometimes you do it in country. Um, and usually it, it's, it's generally fair. Um, but there are different rates per place that you go. Here, there was only one place that was setting the exchange rate, and they were setting it quite, quite high. And so in reality, there is somewhat of an extortion plan that was going on inside of the temple. The bullies were in control, and they were lining their pockets with everybody else's money. That sounds scandalous, doesn't it? And it is, and it was, and that's why this is such a big deal. And, and so that's what's going down inside of the temple on somewhat of a regular basis now. And while this is going down, Jesus shows up in Jerusalem on what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. I want to read to you what Matthew says um, about this, this day. So Jesus, he's been telling his disciples He's telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I will die there. The disciples, they don't fully get it. They don't understand. They don't understand how he's going to die. But for the past three years, again, Jesus has had his eyes set on Jerusalem because he's going to go there and his eyes have been on the cross that he's going to lay down his life on. And this is just now a week away. Okay, verse uh, 1 of chapter 21. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had, or did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now, notice here 
that this is not a war horse, okay? When somebody's coming in to set up their kingdom and ready to, to take on the enemy, they're coming in on a horse. They're coming in on a war horse. This is not what Jesus comes into town on. This is the triumphal entry that we celebrate is not because a, a military king is coming to the town. This is a man who is sitting on a uh, donkey. This is a servant type of animal. This is the type of, uh, of animal that is fit perfectly for a servant king who is coming to serve and to do something significant for the entire human race. Look at verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Um, verse 8 is where we get the idea of palms on Palm Sunday here with the palm branches. And verse 9, and the crowds that went before him and that uh, followed him were shouting, Hosanna! And uh, the word Hosanna there, it literally means save now um, or, or save us now. It, it's saying that when you see God at work, when, when you see something phenomenal happening that you know that he's planned in advance and you begin to see it play out in front of you, your only response is to say, praise God. Like, he's at work amongst us. Hosanna. God, save us. It was like saying, praise God, because your will is being fulfilled right now in front of us. Um, our elders, this, this past week, we got an opportunity um, to pray uh, for uh, a, young, uh, a young lady who is just dealing with some extreme anxiety. And she said, guys, would you just be willing to pray for me? And we said, absolutely, come in, and, and we'll do that. And so uh, we uh, spent some time circled around her, hands on her, praying for her. And uh, just a, a great time uh, of prayer. And then we got a report back from her this week uh, that said, hey, uh, let everybody know I'm sleeping well. My mind is clear. I can pray again. And God is at work. And, 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 and as collectively as an elder group, what we said, we said, praise God. And in, in place of praise God, what any one of us could have said was, Hosanna. Okay, Hosanna. God is at work amongst us in our midst. He is doing miraculous and good things. So we could have said, Hosanna, praise God for what he's doing here. We recognize that God is at work around us. The crowds were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. It's, it's interesting that outside of the city, as Jesus is standing on the outside looking in, that the people are yelling, Hosanna. But on the inside of the city, there's a group of people who are saying, who is this? Hosanna, who is this? It's interesting. Matthew doesn't say it here, but Luke tells us that in his gospel, that Jesus, when he's standing on the outside of the city, there's something that begins to happen to Jesus, Jesus that we don't normally see. Jesus begins to weep. He's looking down at the city and tears begin to fill his eyes because there's a compassion that begins to fill his gut um, because he sees firsthand what's going on in Jerusalem. Um, there's a, a place in Matthew where, where Jesus talks again about seeing what's going on in the city. And he, he cries out and he says, these people are people without a shepherd. And his heart breaks for them because what was supposed to be happening in the city, what was supposed to be happening was that the leaders were to be telling them the truth about who Jesus was. They're to be telling them the truth about the prophecy of the one who was to come, the Messiah who was to come. And instead of um, leading them in this way, Jesus sees it. they've missed it, and they're causing others to miss it too. And so when we see Jesus coming into the city on the outskirts of Jerusalem, we're celebrating Palm Sunday. There's a group of people who are celebrating that Jesus is here. But inside the city, there's something completely different going on at the time. And so as we move from Palm Sunday 
where Jesus is outside of the city, we move to Monday, which is known as Passion Monday or Holy Monday, which is kind of kicking off, or Palm Sunday kind of kicks off the, the, the Passion Week or, or the, the Easter Week, as we would say. But outside of the city, it's Palm Sunday. Inside of the city, there's something different going on here. And so we're going to make that transition now as he leaves the hill and he goes down into the city. When he gets into town, what happens is that Jesus goes <clears throat> straight to the temple. And when he gets there, we read that he's not happy because he comes face to face with what's actually going on. He sees that there are bullies on the play playground. There are bullies in his father's house. There's bullies who are taking a place that's been dedicated for prayer and sacrifice and learning about who, who God is, this God who saves. And they're putting barriers in front of people who are coming to worship. They're, they're putting roadblocks for people who are coming to worship. And Jesus is not okay with this. Look at verse 12 in chapter 21 here. It says, Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. I want you to pause for a second here, and I want you to try to picture Jesus. Think about this Jesus that Matthew is telling us about here. When you think about Jesus is your Jesus the kind of Jesus that will go into a temple and start flipping tables and, and, and running around with a bullwhip? Like we don't read about the whip right here, but in the other Gospels we see pictures of this. Jesus is furious and irate about what's going on. When you think about Jesus, is this what you see? Let's show the picture here. Is that, is that the Jesus that you see? This is the Jesus that Matthew is describing for us right now. A, a, a man who is not happy with what's going on in his father's house. And, and this is a picture of a God who is righteously furious. And he's furious because he wants to guard his own reputation. And his reputation and his father's reputation is being stomped on the ground inside the temple that is supposed to be a temple of praise. And, and this is a picture of a God who's righteously furious over the purity of the gospel that's being stolen from those who want to truly worship God. This is the picture of a man who sees the oppression of his people who are being mistreated by those who are supposed to lead them and love them and care for them. This is the picture of a Jesus who is furious at what he sees. It's not usually the picture of Jesus I see when I read, when I sit down to pray. That's not what I see, but this is the Jesus that Matthew shows us in this passage. I want you to understand why he's so frustrated. And I want you to understand where this is happening inside of the temple. The, to go ahead and throw this picture up there. The temple was a, a big place, and it had all kinds of different sections to it. Um, there were places where only the priests could go. There were places where only the Jews could go. And there were also only places that the outsiders or the foreigners could go as well. And the place where the outsiders were allowed to go was called the Court of Gentiles. You can see it there on the left side and there down at the bottom of the right. It's everywhere outside of the temple. Like the temple is, is where you want to be. The Gentile, the Court of Gentiles is where everybody else was, was allowed to be on, on the outside. This is, this is where this is going down. And the Court of the Gentiles would have been the place that was full of, of non-Jews who were coming from all over the known world to learn about God the Father, to be close to God the Father, to, to hear about this God who was doing miraculous things for, for his people. But that wasn't just the place for non-Jews. 
It was also filled with people um, who were considered outsiders. The sick, the lame, the diseased, the blind. Those who weren't allowed to get any closer to the temple because of the ailment that their body carried along with them. They were allowed to go to the court of the Gentiles, but the leaders, and even God's word, would say, there's, there's a distance that you have to keep because you would be considered unclean. And so the leaders were very big about, you stay out there, we'll handle it from inside of here. So what would have made Jesus so ferociously mad and so, so act in such a way that we were so unaccustomed to seeing here in Matthew? What would make him so zealous to start flipping tables and to start driving people out like this? Well, to be sure... The corruption that was taking place for starters, right? But I think he sees a bunch of bullies who have set up a system that's pushing away the very people that Jesus came to save. See, remember, we read that Jesus, his mission was to come and to seek and to save the lost. His, his mission was to come and to seek and save those who needed him. Matthew tells us that Jesus, he didn't come for those who were well. He didn't come for those who had no need of a physician. He came for those who were sick he came for those who, who actually needed him. And the bullies, what they're doing, they are pushing away those who are sick. They are setting up roadblocks. They are setting up barriers for them to be able to worship. Those who couldn't pay a certain fee, those who wanted to know the truth, those who were standing in the lunch line waiting to be spiritually fed, the bullies were somehow taking their money and saying, if you can't pay the full price, or if you are carrying something that marks your body, you cannot get close to him. And they were making it difficult, if not impossible, for them to come and worship as their heart desired. Guys, anytime we create barriers for people to worship, we are staying in the way of what Jesus came to do. Anytime that we put a barrier or an obstacle for somebody to come and worship, we are putting a, a, a barrier in front of what Jesus has come himself to do. Listen to what happened in the court of the Gentiles when Jesus tosses the place in verse 14. And I think this is so beautiful. It says, and the blind and the lame, they came to him in the temple, and he, and he healed them. Okay, so he's tossed the temple. He's tossed the tables. He's drove out people. And as he's done that, the blind and the lame now come to him, and he's healing them. They've left the outer courts. And they've got as close to Jesus as you can possibly get inside of the temple. And I want you to imagine the scene. There are blind men and women now who are flocking to Jesus inside of the temple. Someone with a deformed hand coming up to Jesus, and he heals them. Some, somebody who's been crippled all their life, maybe a young boy who's never been able to run and play with the other the young boys. Jesus heals him. And he's able to run off and go play with the rest of the kiddos. Somebody who's suffered from deep depression and deep emotional trauma for so long. Maybe he's healed by Jesus. A young lady who's never experienced seeing the beauty of the created flowers is maybe given back her sight and she's able to see the beauty of the creation that God has created for her eyes to see. Those who have been told their entire lives that you're second class that you don't deserve to be here, that you're not righteous like me, that you don't do it like me. They, they've now been able to get close to Jesus, and they've bum-rushed Jesus. And do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's entered the city. Those who have needed him most have been pushed away, and he's saying to the lame, 
the, the sick, the disease, to the outsiders. He's saying, I'm here. I'm here and I came for you. And this is significant because you and I right now, we're not sitting in a Jewish synagogue somewhere. We're not, we're not worshiping and gathered together in community sitting in a synagogue that would have been considered clean and righteous during this moment. You and I are sitting in a, a Gentile outsider church. And so at the time, we would have been considered outsiders. We would have been outside in the court of the Gentiles. We would have been exploited. We would have been closed out. And yet Jesus was saying to those who were closed out at the time, he was saying, I'm here and I'm here for you. And that's the same hope that we have today. If you've ever felt exploited, if you've ever felt like an outsider, if you've ever been pushed away by Jesus or, or, or pushed, pushed away from Jesus, or if you've ever in your own right done everything you can to push yourself away from Jesus, this is good news because this is why he was in Jerusalem. This is why he entered into the city. This is why he had his eyes set to the cross, because he was doing it and he was coming for you. He was removing all the barriers, all the obstacles so that you could get to know him, so that you could feel his healing, so that you could come to know who he was. These men and women, they are flocking to Jesus in this moment. And isn't that what happens when the bully on the playground gets punched in the mouth and the reign of tyranny stops? Those have been taken advantage of those who have been exploited, those who have been on the outside, those who have been hurting, they flock to the one who stops it. When, you're, when you've been hurt, you want to go to the person who can give you healing, and they are flocking to the one who's doing the, the healing. Those who have been marginalized are now flocking to Jesus, just as it was always intended to be. And, and what happens? We see the leaders become irate. Those who used to be on top, telling people uh, what to do, what you can say, where you can go, and where you can't go, and when you can go there, they're our rate right now because their reign of tyranny and their control was coming to an end because Jesus is showing who's actually in control here. And the icing on top of the cake is that there's a bunch of kiddos who are sitting in the temple, and they get to hear and see what Jesus is doing. He was, they're getting to see that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy, that he was the one that scripture had been pointing to. And the religious leaders see this all going down. And what they see is a brand new generation of followers of Jesus that are beginning to raise up, a generation who would carry Jesus onto the next generation. Because anytime that the gospel is spoken or sung or read to a generation of children, you know that that's another generation of Christ followers who are being raised up. Not every one of them will trust Christ, but you know that there's another generation of Christ followers who are being raised up that will bear fruit. The gospel does not come back void. It always goes out and it produces fruit. And so these, um, these, these leaders in the temple, they're beginning to see a new generation of followers of Jesus beginning to be raised up, and they are irate. Look at verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, save us, praise God, he's at work in our midst, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And that word indignant there, it means stirred to anger. Verse 16, they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And these leaders, they expect that Jesus is going to be like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I hear what they're saying, quiet down, um, like, don't, like, this is not true, simmer down right now, but that's not what Jesus says at all. In this verse, he says, yes, he says, yes, I hear, 
I hear what they're saying. And it's almost like the look of a proud papa in his eye. Like, yes, I hear what they're saying. And isn't it glorious? Isn't it amazing what they are, are saying? I hear them and they sound amazing to me because they get it. They understand what Jesus is coming to do, that he came to save, to heal, to ransom the slave, to, to set the captives free, to bring freedom. These children, they get it. And here's what uh, Matthew says in verse 16. And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And then Jesus drops the mic, he walks away, and then he goes off in to Bethany. Why does Jesus get so furious enough to flip tables? Why does he get so mad to throw people out of the temple? He gets mad because there are a bunch of religious bullies who have had a lifetime of putting up roadblocks in front of people so that it would put a barrier in front of them to worship. And it was keeping people from Jesus, the Jesus who came to save. It was keeping them away from Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't have any of that. Guys, the story of Palm Sunday, it's a story of, of Jesus coming to set the whole world free. It's the story of Hosanna. It's the story to praise God. It's the story that he was at work in our midst, and he was coming to do what he had said he was going to do. And if you've ever felt exploited, if you've ever felt like the outsider, if you've ever been pushed away by Jesus, if you've ever pushed him away on your own accord, Palm Sunday is good news for you because that is why he came. That is why he went to Jerusalem. That's why he had his eyes set to the cross because he was coming for you. He was coming for me. He was coming to bring salvation and open up a door so that others might be able to believe and trust in him. Here's what I think the takeaway for us is on, on a Palm Sunday. is for us to think, have we or do we put barriers in front of people to be able to worship? Do we say that you have to jump through this hoop and this hoop and this hoop in order to be able to be a part of us, in order to be able to be a part of the family of God? Do we put barriers in front of people to be able to worship? And then for maybe us, us to think, have we created a barrier for ourselves that keeps us away from Jesus? Do we think that because of what I've done, where I've been, and, and who I've done that with, and where I've done that, do we think that those, those are things that are big enough to keep us away from Jesus? Do we set a barrier for ourselves? I want you to know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to Jerusalem for you. He went to the cross for you. And as Gentiles who are sitting in this church, who are considered outsiders, he said, you can come in because of what I've done. So let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for all that you've done. I want to thank you that as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we know that this is a day that's, that's going to lead eventually to the cross, which is going to be a deep, dark day in human history. But we know where it leads. We know it leads to salvation for those who are going to trust. We know what Jesus was doing. We know what your, your plan of salvation was through your son. And so we celebrate that and we yell, Hosanna, praise God, save us with the crowd. Father, may we never be people who put barriers for people to worship. May we never be people who create barriers for ourselves. Let us be people who experience your grace, who experience your love, who experience your mercy in very real ways. And we walk in truth and forgiveness. 
that we trust what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so for, for my friends in the room, God, who've never trusted Jesus, who've never seen him for who he is, who've never experienced his goodness, I pray that today would be a day that you would prick their hearts and open up a space where they can just lay their sin down on the ground and say, Jesus, I believe and I trust you. So if there's anybody in the room who's never trusted Jesus, I just pray that you would plead with him right now and you would accept his forgiveness through, um, accept the Father's forgiveness through Jesus. And if there's men and women or teenagers in the room who put roadblocks up and have just seen hoops that people have to jump through to experience your grace and mercy, I just pray that we would understand the beauty of what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save the lost, and that we'd be champions of grace and mercy and tear down the barriers so that people could get to Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name.